Class is in session. Your most unconventional class. She talks all things, all subjects. It's the interdisciplinary podcast, hosted by your favorite doctor. This is what's the say with Doctor Kimbray. Yes, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is What's the Say with Dr. Kim Ray. And I hope everybody is enjoying their day and that you are enjoying the fact that we are about to help you become a 360 degree human being on this show, you know? So uh, as you ride your bicycle down the road, I don't know if you're exercising or if you're even driving to work. Maybe you're driving to work or you're driving home and you're listening to this show, but we appreciate you either way. But I today now, I want to introduce you to this amazing person that I have with me today. I have with me Dr. Momadou Taylor, C. Taylor. Don't forget the C. Momadou C. Taylor, right? I met this, this, this awesome man at Livingstone College, an HBCU that I was working at about 10 to 12 years ago. And he was a student there. And uh, while he was a student, uh, I can't say that we had any real type of relationship there. But years later, get this, y'all, I started uh, my master's degree uh, at the illustrious North Carolina A&T State University, HBCU. And from there, uh, I was uh, reintroduced to this young man when I uh, started the doctoral program, the leadership studies doctoral program. And he later joined me in that same program. So not only was this young man a student while I was an administrator at a college, but he came through the same PhD program as I, but then he showed, he showed me up because let me tell you what he did. He graduated two years before me and I started two years before him. <laughs> but you know what? It's all good because it, when you get to that level of, uh, of education and, and learning, you know, you're on your own pace. So we, we finished when we wanted to finish. Right. But I just wanted to stop here and just, 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 just say, thank you so much, Dr. T, as I call him for coming in and joining me today in the, what's to say, uh, chat room, if you will, how you doing there, Dr. T? Doing well, Dr. Kenray. I see you have on your Columbia blue and black. Yeah. Wait, wait. So, so who is this? Who is this that I'm rocking? A little bit of Livingstone College. You can ah, get life out of the stone at Livingstone. You got to throw up your LC. LC? <laughs> yeah, I had to do it. I had to do it because this is how we know each other. So, you know, I wanted to give back because I know that you're highly, highly involved in their alumni affairs and um, you really give back to that institution. And I'm sure that they, they are very appreciative there of you. Livingstone is a, is a college uh, that I will never forget. I enjoyed my time there and the culture and the family uh, feeling, sense of feeling that you get when you're, you're on that campus beneath thy maples and thy oats. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so, so let's tell them a little bit about you, Dr. T. So I understand that you have your bachelor's of arts in history and that you got from LC Livingstone College. Then you went to A&T, which is where we obviously met, and you got your Master's of Arts in and history, history and, correct? Yeah. Okay, but so let's talk about your, your doctoral degree that you got from, from North Carolina A&T as well. You, you, you got your degree in leadership studies, a, a doctor of philosophy in leadership studies, just like I, but uh, what's your dissertation about? Share with us, because it's kind of interesting. Yes, I decided to write about Muhammad Ali as a transformational leader. 
looking mm. at him through the lens of boxing, politics, uh, leadership development, and cultural identity. Okay. So um, what were some of the findings? Or how, can you share with us, you know, us in layman's terms? Sure, absolutely. Uh, in layman's terms, really just in the simplest way of looking at it, you find that leaders are in part a uh, creation, a self-creation of the public persona, what you're able to leave people with a lasting impression of. And Ali did a phenomenal job with that. You can see it in his legacy on T-shirts and through popular culture posts today. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he floats like a butterfly and he stings like a bee. That's something that we will never forget. Indeed. <laughs> yes. So about your experience, though, let's fast forward into that, because I really want us to get into these topics that we're going to talk about today. So I want to just tell them a little bit about your experience, your background and what makes you so pivotal and so um, so so necessary in this conversation. So obviously you went to an HBCU, you went to two HBCUs, so you're an HBCU alumni, um, but you also have had uh, experiences outside of HBCUs in your career. So I know, I understand that you've worked a little bit in housing and residence life, you've worked a little bit as an academic advisor, more to the male students, I believe, but an academic advisor is it's all in the same, in my opinion. Um, and then you worked with the uh, athletics uh, welcome recruitment part department or team. Right, mm -hmm. So you've worked right. in athletics, you've worked as an ad academic advisor, and then you've worked in housing and residence life. But you've also worked in uh, the director of, uh, you were the director student of student involvement. involvement. So you've University. kind of worked in student activities, if you will, as well. Yes. Um, planning campus events and, and how to keep uh, the young folks, the students engaged. And so I would, I would, am I wrong if I say that you're kind of on the lines of being more like a, a student affairs uh, expert professional? I would say that. I think I've mm -hmm. uh, touched a number of areas in there. Yes, yes. I, I mean, if you were, if you were the vice president of student affairs, I would say that you have a pretty well round, um, take on student affairs, you know, based on your experience already. Um, yeah. And with me being a, a talent uh, consultant and a people developer on the consulting side, I, I see that completely that you could totally be a student affairs um, director or associate VP or something like that. Thank you. So, yeah. So it looks like, you know, you're well on your way. Um, but I also know that you also have had some experiences in K through 12 too. Yes, I, you know, one of the first jobs I had was a public school teacher. Right. So that makes you even more well-rounded because before students get to college, where are they? They're in high school. in the public schools or in the private schools or somewhere before they yeah. get there. Absolutely. So um, I understand that that's really good, uh, good uh, skill set to have as well. So that's awesome. Um, what ignites your passion? Like, why, do you, why, do you, why higher ed? Why, when we're talking about uh, today's current uh, climate, and um, when I say today, I mean the t from the period that you started studying this stuff, right? Because um, it hasn't been that long since, you know, you started down this path. So why do you think that with the given... Um, you know, budget cuts and things like that. What makes higher ed and specifically uh, what I would say student affairs um, more so, so passionate for you? Like, why are you passionate about it? Or why do you want to do make this your career move? Well, it starts with my experiences, right? Uh, public schools. I wasn't a phenomenal high school student. Really? But I got better when I went to college because I was able to structure my life, make my own decisions, you know, get out there and do things the way you want to do them, not the way you've been told to do them. Mm 
Mm. Uh, some people thrive in that environment, other people don't. But I loved being able to see students grow. Yes. And not only grow from being 18 to 21, 22, and when you graduate, but just that growth of you as a person in between those years of leaving high school and then branching out on your own. Yes, absolutely. Great. Excellent. Okay. So then are, do you think that you will stay on this path of student affairs or is that kind of yet to be seen based on how the cards and the chips fall? Or um, are you thinking more about like multicultural affairs or I say DEI, but I mean diversity, equity, and inclusion? I think that in, uh, in an ideal structure, they all go, come together. They go hand in hand, diversity, mm-hmm. inclusion, equity, engagement, all of those things should be well-rounded so that yeah. everyone feels included. Absolutely. I like that. I like that answer because that's very, very true. And I think sometimes we box ourselves into these things and then we, we, we box ourselves into the beliefs of that box, you know, mm. but we're not thinking that 360 degree box. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so let's get into these 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 really deep talking points. And I'm glad that we kind of breeze through your your background really well. And we we know a lot about you now, but but we want to help the people out here. We want to get some conversation going and some real thought provoking um, communication. So let's let's talk a little bit. Now, I want to go I want to dive in a little bit deeper now. I want I want us to talk a little bit more about um the American college degree today, right? In 2020, or I'd say in the future past, like 2025, 20, what, what, what do you think the American college degree is worth is, or the perceived value of it today? Is it worth what it, what it, what it always was? Or give us some, give us some talk on that. I, I'm no, I don't want to go too far with the history background here, but I think that <laughs> it is constantly uh, revolutionizing itself and changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're increasingly seeing a lot of technology mm-hmm. uh, taking uh, dominance in the field. And uh, what do you do with just an English degree now or just a history degree? Right. You don't immediately take a bachelor's degree and run with it and you have that for the rest of your life. You could, but your prospects for multiple jobs and career advancement are lower than they were let's say in 1950, 1960. Right so on. In 2020, right. 25, going from now, what are the skills that students need to have? And that's a question that I think even administrators are asking themselves as they're trying to bring in students and craft new curriculum. Yeah, absolutely. So um, do you think, well, obviously, you know, we're, we're going through a different period now with uh, COVID-19. And uh, we know that we have to kind of uh, re- structure things and i don't want to get into too much about that because i do want to talk about that next week on our show um but uh i i think that everybody in this industry and every other industry in the globe has to now figure out how to pivot and figure out how to revamp and structure their or their their business model you know or how are they gonna so you know i think when when you say technology you know, I think those institutions that were already on the plight, they were already on the move, you know, to use technology and embrace technology in every way possible. That means registration for classes. That means online classes or flipped, you know, classrooms. Sometimes it's in, sometimes it's out. Um, you know, that to me, uh, those institutions might be a little bit better off because of the technology situation. Um 
and the COVID situation rather. Uh, what, so, so how do you think that the college degree will fit in in today's uh, or the future's um, America, the, uh, the future of America, you know, cause I know you and I have some tough, co- we have some real serious conversations on our, on our uh, phones. We text message a lot. We, we talk a lot on the phone. Um, and we have some real serious conversations about higher education and, um, even, even, uh, and I don't want to get too much into like, we're not bashing higher education. We love higher education. Right. But, um, yeah. but I am also uh, a realist and uh, a person that gives gives the gives the authenticity of things, and um, so I don't want to put you in a bad position, Doc. But I I want us to talk about the fact that you know I have um, a problem per se with the fact that we as higher educators, right? We the when when budget cuts happen, budget cuts happen to education first generally always always right so with that what do you think happens to the people that work at these institutions right they're then not able to travel to these conferences and get all these this new information and to be professionally developed it's called professional development but if you can't afford it or you can only go to the local conference that may not be as good as that one in california then you know uh what are you what are you bringing back? What are you growing from? How are you developing? And then how is that impacting your students? Are they still giving them that old stuff that they've known for 20 years? Of course they are. How can they develop if you don't develop them because you don't have the funding to do it? Right? So that was always my little beef with um being an administrator or being in administration. Um, at an institution, I kind of, you know, wanted to feel like I was being invested in. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's even harder now with the immediate impacts of uh, having to stay at home, right? Yeah. At home orders and looking at this new school year and having to uh, revamp the yeah. schedule to come in earlier and leave before Thanksgiving, as most schools are looking to do. Right. And uh, it's really going to be a different place. Because yes. It's, you can't charge the same amount if you're not there for the same amount of time. It's ah. like if you have a rent for your house, you're paying Look at for that. your uh, dormitory, you're paying for the food, you're paying for the board, you're paying all these different things. Right. That, like you said, people are having to change their business model. Well, and, and you know, that's going to impact these schools. Yeah. I mean, will some of them be be able to survive these smaller schools, like you said, right? You know, like, will they be able to stay afloat because they may not have that huge endowment? That's true. Yeah, that's true. So we're looking to see what we can do, uh, especially with like schools like HBCUs who don't have these large endowments of, you know, um, really just a plethora of alumni who are just giving, giving, giving all year long, large amounts of money, you know, and it also comes to some of the other things that I think we're going to discuss right. with we're getting certain degrees in different fields, majority of our schools being liberal arts colleges. Yes. What's the value of that degree? What jobs are you getting once you, you know, graduate with that? Okay. So let's talk about that then. What's, um, so these liberal arts degrees are, are they're pretty much uh, obsolete now or are they bringing them back to kind of make them interdisciplinary or, you know, like my podcast is interdisciplinary. <laughs> I wouldn't say that they're obsolete, but I think that they're increasingly interdisciplinary. And what does you know, that mean? Well, you have to be able to do multiple things. Most people I know, don't but I work. want the world to know. Okay, well, I'll explain a little. Most people <laughs> don't work 
in the field that they've gotten their degree in. That's mm-hmm. just out there statistically. Most people get a degree in one thing, but hopefully the transferable skills that they learned yes. are able to help them you know, have a change of career, maybe once, twice, three, four times for in some cases. So to be able to do that, you have to be able to think outside the box, which is what liberal arts education was always about. Hmm. Being able to think outside the box, think in ways that people who are looking at exact numbers wouldn't. And those are the type of things that technology companies like Apple, Google, right. they want those people. But, you think so? You know, so so these 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 uh these these tech well you named tech firms. Um so I'm just gonna go off of tech, but it's probably other organizations that you're oh, referring businesses, to. Right? You just, yes. yes. Um so 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 they find value that these these organizations find value in the fact that these students the, they come out with a um very uh dynamic degree. Yeah. Is that Mm hmm. Hmm. Okay. So they don't necessarily want one like expert in blah, this. Well, that's another area of concern because, like you said, we went, we were at North Carolina AT, school heavily known for its STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math degrees. And there are a lot of people getting great jobs in those. Some people yes. do want very specific engineering uh, type degrees, and those people are getting high salaries. We can't lie about those numbers. We can't fudge that but sure what else can you do that can get you there and it won't be nearly as fast right that's um that's part of the question that students have if you're a recruiter if you're a recruiter you used to be a recruiter yes students in if i'm a parent i want to know well when do i get the return on this investment and we want to continually do things to put our students in the best position to give them a return because ultimately that return comes right back to the institution oh yeah yes yeah yeah okay um so where are we what are we what are we uh so giving back we probably need to do do more of that um well when we're talking about from an hbcu level right like we need to do better with that because like you say some small schools that are not hbcus they have an endowment though they've got a well everyone has an endowment but a large endowment right Mm -hmm. you know um and and we need to do better at our at HBCUs with that culturally, right? Right. And it starts with what we're able to produce of our students when they first leave. When they leave, you feel better about giving back if you made some money. Yeah, so yeah. But so when 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 you come out with a liberal arts degree, though, right? I'm just we're talking liberal arts, right? Because that's the majority. I mean, HBCUs were you know preaching and teaching schools, and initially most of them. Yes, because that's originally how they were founded, and so that that same traditional program exists. Yeah. Um, but I just I just wonder if business today uh, still values those um, those same degrees. You know, they do. And um, there was a guy who wrote a book once called um, "The Surprising Power of a Useless Liberal Arts Education." He went through a number of cases. Mm-hmm. Wasn't talking about HBCUs in particular, uh-huh. but it was apl- applicable to almost any student at any university, any college. And there are ways you can get it going, but you have to sell it. And mm-hmm. w- that's what we taught at Livingstone was that, you know, the, we were going to defy the odds. There were going to be yes. a lot of things that were against you, but how could you, you know, put yourself in the best competitive position? And it is competitive. We can't run from that aspect of education. And that's where really my passion is we were talking about it earlier 
uh, being a high school teacher, you're teaching students all the time about rigorous education, how to compete. Yes. So always I'm thinking, all right, well, what do I need to do to help motivate you? And it changed me as a person being a public school teacher because everybody didn't want to go to college. And me having gone to college, I didn't understand. But there are other things you can do there. I mean, you could be a plumber. You could be an electrician. That's right. Without being an electric, electrical engineer. Yeah. Right. So there's plenty of things that you could do and make a decent amount of money without going to college. Although I was always a proponent of that, not just for the degree, but for the experience. Experience. Yeah, those four years, if you don't use your degree, you're still experiencing a timeless, you know, valuable thing that you you can't put a price tag on. Right. And it helps, you know, really help you think in different ways. Yeah. You might re- meet someone that tells you about things that you just never thought before. It opens your uh, brand new uh, outlook on the world. Right, right. And you meet people from all over the country, whereas when you were at high school, you might have been the biggest fish in the pond. But in this ocean over here, you're you're just... You know, it, it, it puts things in a totally different light for you. And, um, you just, you grow up, you, you experience, I have, I have a friend who, who I, I went to high school and middle school with uh, that I saw randomly last week. And he was telling me, he was like, you're just different. You're just different. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, he said, man, when people go away to college and then they return, they're different. He's like, there's just a difference in you. You carry yourself differently. You talk differently. You're just on a different frequency. That's what he said. He said, it's not necessarily a level. I don't use level, he said, but you're on a different frequency. And I was like, wow, I'm going to use that from now on. A different frequency. So, um. So yeah, so so back to uh, what do you think though these these majors though that outside of a liberal arts degree that that colleges and institutions could be offering that are that are uh, will permit a competitive salary or a comfortable lifestyle, you know? Because teachers come out, teachers come out with a degree. Teachers have to get their masters, you know, if they want to make a little more money. Um, Even you and I. Hello, we, we went and got our PhDs, but we're not making what a medical physician makes, right? But we went through all this schooling because society has said, if you want to be in higher education, administration, or any type of leadership position that is not, um, that is within like uh, some philosophical or uh, you know, I don't know, I, because I don't want to be an HH. I don't want to be in higher education administrator. Not today, I don't. Maybe twenty years from now, I come back and be a, C, uh, a president. But, um, but I, that that's not why I got my PhD. So, but for most people, it's because they want to, you know, be scholars or they want to be an uh, an administrator, senior administrator at some college or university. So, but the thing is, <laughs> we're talking about salaries for our alumni, our, our young people when they graduate undergrad, right? But, right. but, but we also have to think about the lifestyle and the, and the, and the salaries of the employees of these, of these institutions. You know, are they, are, it, it seem, it's seemingly from my experience and, and my readings that uh, there's a huge gap. Like, so it goes from, you know, when you're entry level at a college, you're making next to poverty, right? right. Um, but then there's this like 
there's no middle class <laughs> in the salaries. It goes from like next to poverty to like six figures <laughs> when you make it to the top. Right. So it's we like were talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. So share, share your thoughts on that. I think it's uh, reflective of a wider societal problem. Well, mm-hmm. We're talking about the, the gap between wealth and poverty in America, widening and widening tax cuts for the rich. It's, it's, you know, it's a microcosm of yeah. a, a larger issue. And you have uh, professionals who are coming in, let's say, as a residence hall director, and they may say uh, master's degree preferred. Yes. Whatever reason, which in a position that never was master's degree preferred yes. traditionally. But now you're a step away from a doctoral degree making what 30 maybe 40,000 at a larger school and if you go from there and hopefully gain years of experience and maybe you'll get to a comfortable living wage you know when we say comfortable like you'll know, be able to have buy a house start yes. a family and not be struggling to feed that family yeah uh, it, it, there is a wide gap that does need to be reexamined yeah i would say so i mean there's so many things that we could sit here and like just list that need fixing, you know? Um, and, and you hate to be like the Debbie Downer and you don't want to sound like you're being negative to your, your industry or your sector because you're not and I'm not trying to be. But I also think that there's, that's a big problem. I really, I really can't understand, you know, how, how one is pretty much, you know, not given any other option if they want to be in a leadership position, that they have no other choice but to do that. But it costs a lot of money to get your degrees, okay? So unless you're still getting full rides in that higher level, which is very hard to get the higher you go, they're not just handing those out at that point because they expect you to do what? They expect you to have a career and the ability to pay for it yourself, right? Right. And that's not just that's not how it works you know a lot of assumptions i mean even with student loans the assumption is once you finish your bachelor's degree that you're going to have a job yeah that allows you to pay down i mean what on average in some places is eighty thousand dollars a debt and over a couple more years it'll be a hundred thousand with the uh you know the interest piling on top of it right that's uh it's an issue that we're just rolling over the debt and it's very again symptomatic of a wider societal issue where we're just rolling on top of absolutely debt like federal government i know uh, it's just all like in a circle full right. circle oh my gosh just just a mess um so we're we're coming to a close on our chat here so uh i want to i want to ask you before i go though if you have any final thoughts or if there's anything that perhaps you brought to the table today that i did not ask or I missed or that you feel like that we, we really should touch on should go for it. Cause we have, you know, I'm not rushing you. We have a few minutes. Okay. Well, I think um, just that, you know, higher education is just as relevant today as it was before COVID-19 and it's mm-hmm. going to continue to be relevant after we get this vaccine and everything gets yeah. back to some form of normalcy. Yeah. But we do have to reevaluate the, the cost of education and the return of investment once we bring students into it. Yeah. We want students to be able to leave and be able to have gainful employment, not be right. trying right. to find ways around paying the loan because the idea is that you should be able to pay it. That was the whole idea of uh, the exit counseling that they make. Yes. Do. It's all these assumptions and numbers that you don't have. Yeah. Mind. Yeah. My entertainment will be this, my ex will be that, and I should be able to pay this many hundreds every month. 
you know, we need to make that a reality. And right. We probably need to also, Doc, though, we need to make sure as institutions that when we are building our programs or even deciding as a board or a, as, a, as a cabinet, um, if we should keep certain programs that are, are they provide, like, what are the outcomes for, for our students? Are they providing outcomes, successful outcomes? Outcomes can be negative or bad. So successful outcomes, are they providing that to our students? And if, and if we can't, if we can't be honest with ourselves and say that, then perhaps we need to remove, you know, some of those programs that might be on their way out into being a little bit obsolete, right? Right. And I mean, obsolete is always a relative term, you know, Sure. Um, computer science it keeps changing. So the certifications yeah. you can pick up now might be obsolete two or three years from now. Like with Amazon, they have to recertify every three years and you don't need a degree to get that certification. Mm -hmm. That's one of the highest paying jobs out there. Mm -hmm. uh, so we just have to continue to try to stay relevant. Yes. And, um, you know, be trendsetters. Absolutely. Good. I like that. Trendsetters. Yes. Good. Well, I really enjoyed you. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Hopefully, we'll get to have you come back and join us. I'm sure the viewers and the listeners uh, really enjoyed this as well. And uh, we, we really appreciate your time, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, I appreciate you, Dr. Kimbray. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we'll, 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 be, we'll be in touch, and you stay, stay plugged in. Stay in the game. Don't, don't let nobody take you out. Stay in the game like Muhammad Ali told you to do. <laughs> Peace, brother. Thank you.